Okay, good morning everybody. Good morning and welcome to the now traditional Kaspersky Lab Seabit Press Breakfast. I think it's been here for like four years now and I think it's becoming a really, really good tradition for all of us. Um, my name is Ilyana Vavan and if I would get this thing working would be great. Um, just a second. Okay, so there is no my name on this slide. So my name is Iliana Vavan. I'm the Executive Vice President for Kaspersky Lab Europe. I'm responsible for the full business in the Western European countries. Uh, yesterday night, I was at the opening ceremony of CBIT, and I was listening to the people like Angela Merkel and Eric Schmidt talking about managing trust. Managing trust is the topic of this year's CBIT. I was sitting there and listening to those presentations, and I have to say, I was quite proud, I felt really proud, that I'm working for a company that is really, really perfectly positioned to manage this trust, for the company that has a very, very important role in this interconnected world and protecting people from losing anything on this internet world. I do believe that Kaspersky Lab right now is the best positioned company to manage the trust we are talking about, the internet trust. And let me show, show you why I think so. Okay, slides. Why do I think that our company is the best positioned for, for a managing trust on the internet? Uh, just to give you a little bit of overview where we come from, for those of you who still do not know us as well. Um, the company was founded by Eugene Kaspersky in 1997. So we are, this year we are celebrating our 15th birthday. We are headquartered in Moscow in Russia. And we started expanding from Moscow to the European countries at the beginning of the 2000. Okay, in 2002, 2003, by opening the offices firstly in the UK, then in Germany and France. And today, we have a very global presence where we have our own offices in almost 30 countries. And at the same time, through our distribution and reseller network, we have a presence in almost 200 countries worldwide, which basically means wherever there is an internet, there is also Kaspersky Lab. Right now, we have about 300 million users, and as we speak, this number is actually already outdated. We are currently approaching 400 million users, and we have more than 200,000 corporate businesses worldwide. By corporate, we mean private and governmental organizations. Worldwide, we have almost 2,500 employees. Most of these people are part of our research and development department. We license technologies to around 
basically more than 100 independent hardware and software vendors. And we are currently one of the fastest growing security companies in the world. And we are definitely largest privately owned security company. As I talked about worldwide presence, these are the countries where we currently have our offices. Our main market is European market, and that's, that's where I'm responsible for as well. Obviously, headquartered in Russia, that's why the red letter is there. Looking at how we did in these 15 years, I would say many still think Kaspersky is a small company. We are an underdog, just challenging some big guys. The report here is a competitive overview from Gartner, which tells you that Kaspersky Lab is not a small company and undergog and challenger anymore. We actually entered the big four. And as you can see, these are only the numbers up to 2010. Once the results from 2011 are added to this chart, I believe we will be maybe even overtaking Trend Micro in some of the market segments as we had a really, really good results in 2011 as well. Having said that, I'd like to present you with the numbers where you can see that in the last five years, we have actually grown our revenues 10 times. I think there are very few companies in the world, even in our software segment that can tell that they are growing their revenues 10 times in only five years. And I'm not talking from 1 million to 10 million, so I'm really talking from 60 to 600, which is much more difficult to achieve. So I really think we have a good reason to be proud of our company and achievements up to today. Looking at the geographical split, obviously Europe is still the biggest portion of our revenue. It's our biggest market. It has to do with the tradition, with the history. We, are long, we have the longest presence on this market. We have the best uh, brand recognition in Europe. But I have to say that uh, Americas, and in this case, this stands for North and South America, are growing even more rapidly. If you were at, a, at the opening ceremony yesterday, uh, listening to the president of Brazil, who is the partnering country for CIBIT today, she was mentioning some really, really impressive numbers of investments Brazil is doing in information technology. This immediately translates that probably next year when I'm standing here, Americas will be much bigger, specifically Latin America, because this is the fastest growing market right now for us. Europe. And where do we stand in Europe? I'm very proud to say that we are number one in a consumer market in most of the European countries. This is specifically true for Germany, Italy, and Spain. If you look at our brand recognition, in Germany, and these are some of our internal surveys we did, in Germany we have a brand recognition of 81%, which is really, really good. Even every taxi driver I take here knows or have heard of Kaspersky. In the UK, where we were traditionally lower with our brand recognition, recently we scored 60%, which is another really good result. And for friends, where we are traditionally present, we are 71%. Looking on the corporate market, where traditionally we were not as strong in, because 
we, we were growing into three waves. The first one was technology alliances, then we moved to the consumer, and we are now rapidly entering corporate market. If you look at our numbers and the results, we are currently number one in Germany, for example, on SMB. And we are very, very uh, aggressively penetrating into the enterprise market, where we are having more and more really, really big customers, like BISF, for example, here in Germany. How is the market split? The picture I just mentioned, you can see much more clearly here. As I said, being traditionally consumer-oriented company, we still have the biggest portion of our revenue coming from retail and online. Nevertheless, we are rapidly growing in SMB and the enterprise space. And just looking at the enterprise, a year before, we had only 4% of our total revenue from enterprise. This year, we are already at 6%. Quite a good result. What has made us this successful so far? Internally, we recognize four pillars of our success. Number one is our technology. I think, and I know for the fact, because this is what our partners and customers are telling us, we definitely have the best technology in comparison with any other competitor. We have a vision and expertise that brought us this, this far. We are still led by Eugene Kaspersky, who is a recognized guru in uh, IT security, by all means. And he's a definitely very visionary man, and I think we are very, very lucky to have him on board with us in day-to-day -day operations. And this is definitely one of our pillars for success. Our partners have made us really, really big. We are fully 100% partner-focused company. So we have a two-tier model, and all of our success so far has been shared with our partners. In Europe, we have about 8,000 partners. Not all of them are very active. Um, I think about 500 are really very active. The others are randomly. But still, they all partner with us, and they are in, a, in a touch with us. And the last thing, which I think is definitely part of our big success is our brand. We have invested a lot of time, effort, and money in lifting the brand and the brand recognition of this company. And I do believe one of the biggest recognition for our brand is our partnership with Ferrari. I think I don't need to say too much about Ferrari and all the values and all the attributes that you would connect when somebody mentions Ferrari. But there are four main things we believe are in common between our company and Ferrari. We both want our customers to be very safe. Both of the companies are very innovative and we both share the values of the cutting edge technology. We are quite different and quite unusual, and we want to stay different. And definitely, we are fast. We want to be as fast as Ferrari, or even faster than that, because we know how challenging current market conditions are and how important it is to be able to react very, very fast. In addition to having this big sponsorship and a partnership with Ferrari, we are also sponsoring some very small, but 
how can I say it, very encouraging people in the sports world. And maybe some of you have recently followed the expedition from um, Felicia Ashton, who went, it's a lady from, from the UK who in her own went to the South Pole, and we actually sponsored her. And a couple of years ago, we also sponsored um, Antarctic expedition of, I believe, 10 or 11 ladies that on their own were going for, I don't know how many weeks exactly, it was a couple of years ago, to the South Pole as well. And Eugene himself welcomed them basically there. So we are doing a lot of side activities to help some very courageous and very special people in the world, regardless if they are in a sport or in some other like a charity organization. But as we all know, the success from past does not guarantee any success in the future, right? This is why at Kaspersky Lab, we always look at the market trends and we try to envision what's coming next and we try to be ready for every single challenge and threat that may happen in the near and far future. So looking at the current market threads, I think we all agree, there is a lot of speech about consumerization, take your own device into your company, people are going mobile everywhere around, there is no fixed um, working place for anybody anymore because we all have mobile devices and we can all connect from anywhere, any place and any time. We are all talking about cloud computing because everything goes to the cloud these days and we all talk about consumerization of the IT. But there are some challenges connected with all of this great interconnected world. And these are mainly connected with security. And this is why we have a very clear business vision. What do we need to do in order to protect our customers, no matter what they do and where they go on the internet? Uh, today, in the press conference, I believe, there will be an announcement of Kaspersky Lab virtualization product. This is a brand new technology which we are bringing on the market in order to address the needs of the corporate space, corporate market that is going virtual these days. If you were at the Barcelona Mobile Congress last, year, last week, I'm sorry, last week, you probably heard about our announcement on a tablet. We now have a Kaspersky Lab endpoint security product for the tablets. We already had a mobile solution, so we are fully anticipating to all of these new trends coming from the market. Last month, we announced um, a hosted security solution from, it's, it's the new, new version of our previous product, but completely brand new version. So we are definitely looking at the market trends, we are building the future, and we are associating with those. Another thing where we think we are very strong and we, con we want to continue being very strong is partnership with all of our resellers and distributors, but also with our customers. It's not just partnering in order to sell, but it's also partnering with the customers. And this is really something which we believe is very important because it's not just about the technology. It's also about education of all employees that are working in the different companies as you can protect them with the best technology, but if they are not aware that they should not be clicking on that link coming in that email, then all of the technology is useless, right? By doing all of this, we are very keen to focus on local ability. We are a global company, 
we have a presence in all around the world, but at the same time, we are doing our best to keep the flavor of any local market. And last but not least, we have an ambition. When we do something, we want to do it good. And good is not enough, we want to be excellent. And that's not enough, we want to be leaders. And we definitely want to be always ahead and in the top three. And I think the first step in the right direction has already been set. Gartner has already recognized us as one of the leaders in their famous Magic Quadrant. This is the newest version of the Gartner Magic Quadrant for endpoint protection platforms. And as you can see, we are not a small company anymore. We are not challenger. We are not niche player. We are not visionary. We are the leader. And we are here to stay a leader. And I think this brings me in the right direction for the next step. I'd like to welcome the leader of this company, the man behind the success of this company, and the man to whom we all have to thank that he created this brilliant company and everything I've just told you about. Please welcome Eugene Kaspersky. Thank you, Leonor. Good morning, Dan and Heron. I'm Eugene Kaspersky, and uh, today I have a... Uh, I, well, I'm not talking about products. Uh, in the last five, maybe eight, maybe ten years, I had just one product presentation because I was just one person to present a company in Japan in 2005, I think. Uh, so I had a uh, product presentation uh, which was translated to Japanese. Uh, that was <laughs> very hard work. So usually I'm talking about threats, usually I'm talking about our risks and uh, the ways how to be uh, protected. Uh, there are several major threats in the digital world, in the cyber world. Uh, one of these threats is a very new one. Uh, I call it social media problem. Uh, there are so many people in the social networks and it's so easy to manipulate these people. And uh, uh, you know this, this term Arab Spring, uh, then they said, okay, so Occupy Wall Street, it's American summer. Uh, then in London it was British autumn, uh, Russian election, Russian winter. Uh, it's possible to manipulate people through social networks and you never know who is behind of, well, in many cases you don't know who is behind of the inf information which is published in the social network uh, and which is attracting people. And I'm afraid this uh, uh, social media is a very powerful tool to, to push thousands of people to the streets. And I'm afraid many nations, many countries could be victims of uh, these attacks. Uh, another problem uh, which I recognize um, it's a uh, kids, new generation, which are uh, which live online. They can't imagine this world without online services. So these kids, they will never accept uh, offline election. They will say in 10, 15, 20 years, they will say, "Hey, come on, what are you doing? Why? Well, shall I go physically go to the election office? I don't. I want. I want to vote from my computer. Well, not from my computer. From my uh, pocket device." 
and uh, there will be very high demand on a secure identification system. Uh, for sure, it has to be cryptographic, uh, biometric, uh, I don't know what, but there will be very, very high demand on the secure identification uh, for online uh, digital elections uh, for other services. And uh, if we don't have it in the 10, 15, maybe 20 years, uh, that will be the huge distance between our generation and the new generation. And we'll be just a very different uh, people living in the, same in the same countries. And I'm afraid if we don't have online election in 10, 15 years, that will be the end of democracy. No one is voting. So there's no need for presidents or prime ministers. They, they, will be, they will be kings forever because there's no one coming to the election office. Uh, well, so the evolutionist world is going in the circles. So maybe we'll get back to kingdoms <laughs> if we don't have internet passports. Uh, but I'm not going to talk too much about this because uh, uh, today uh, I will explain the, my view on the major threats which are more connected, which are more close uh, to my company uh, expertise and which we are working with her on the daily basis and which we understand. So there, internet as a military free zone. Okay. Uh, do you agree or disagree? Well, sometimes, sometimes I'm offline, sometimes. Uh, usually in August, somewhere on the far, far, far east of Russia. Uh, well, uh, not, we're not really uh, offline because we have a satellite phone. But uh, no internet, no mobile phone, nothing. This is just a wild nature. I like it. Uh, wild nature, uh, red fish with red caviar, uh, wild beers. Unfortunately, no vodka because there are no shops around. So the next shop is somewhere 200 kilometers far. Uh, and sometimes helicopters are flying, that's it. Even no planes, <laughs> because it's a, <laughs> this, uh, it's far away from my presentation, sorry. So, uh, the world is online and, well, it's everything is there. Uh, there are many talks about cars, automatic cars in the future. There are no need for driver and to manage these cars. We have to have all these cars connected to the network to report the position and to let some IT system to manage traffic. Uh, yesterday, I was watching the TV and they were talking about security in the rail transportation. And they said, okay, yes, it's not just internet for passengers. It's also trains reporting the position to the global system which is managing train traffic. Uh, um, I'm not sure if they have autobahns in Greenland, uh, but I think that global warming will do the job. They will have it. And the train is definitely Siemens train in Russia. Uh, they also have internet, well, satellite internet in uh, Siberia. <laughs> not so many people, but there are oil factories there. And it's everywhere. The world is online and everyone, uh, and more and more people are online. And China recently reported that they have about, they have more than five hundred million people who has access to the internet. Maybe it's not five hundred million people who have computers or smartphones. Maybe they use the internet cafes. But anyway, 
half a billion people in China, they are active internet users. Um, it's, it's everywhere, it's for everything. Uh, entertainment. Uh, still sometimes I play uh, paper cards, but less and less because I don't have time. Uh, kids. They are, they are crazy about the games. There are many people say that it's not just entertainment, but also education, knowledge. No, 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 come on. Uh, have a look at the kids. They mostly play computer games online. So that's, it's nothing to do. Uh, how many people in this room don't play Angry Birds? Ah, that's a good result, yes. Yes, that's a good result. I say I'm in Germany, so Germans are mostly working. Arbeiten. <laughs> that, that's a difference. Uh, different nations are different. Uh, so the Germans are different because it's, uh, Arbeiten is one of the most important words. Uh, so they, the other, <laughs> but uh, kids they are mostly playing games, not uh, educate themselves because it's it, that's that's a work. Um, and my favorite question is uh, talking about knowledge. Uh, how many people, uh, well, I ask this question every year in the same audiences around the globe. Uh, how many people still use paper written, paper printed encyclopedias? I don't believe you. I know, I know you, Marcel, I know you, so I don't know that. How many people use paper printed encyclopedias? Okay. How many people in the room don't use Wikipedia or Google or other online? I said, don't use. That's it. No hands. Uh, last year, there were one of two people said, okay, I still open this encyclopedia. Yes. Not anymore. Uh, so we're not just online. We're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole. Uh, how many people here in the room have... Uh, five or more accounts in social media. <laughs> Kids are playing games, <laughs> parents, <laughs> they are lost <laughs> in social media <laughs> networks. Um, uh, that's why I don't believe in the idea of 100% uh, cloud services. Because we have a private life as well, and we have some maybe pictures, maybe family uh, videos, which we don't want to store in the cloud. Maybe store in the cloud as a backup, but also have all the time have in the pocket. Uh, oh, SMS. Do you know this story that happened in Russia recently? Uh, by mistake, the private SMS messages, which was said, there was there are several mobile operators in Moscow, and one of these operator by mistake, uh, the S online, the internet SMS messages, so the SMS which was sent through internet service, uh, they were counted by search machine. So this information was online, so it was possible, and there was a text message and telephone number. Of course, there were some divorces. <laughs> because there is a Russian search machine, Yandex, and by mistake, this, uh, this search machine counted all this uh, information. But in a couple of days, there were even more funny. The victim of this mistake of the search machine that was online sex shop with the real names of customers. 
and what they are buying there. Uh, so sometimes your private life is getting not so private. Uh, but this is a question about privacy in the internet, which is a different topic, which is not really connected to my presentation. But it's also uh, quite a critical issue. I know that in Germany it's a much better situation because I have a very strict regulation about uh, the pri private data. And I'm pretty sure that if a similar story happens in Germany, there will be some people jailed. <laughs> no, not really. Or at least fired. So, uh, how many businesses they are not connected to the internet? Or how many businesses don't use uh, IT? They only they have only one idea of the business, uh, which 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 can be disconnected. Only the business which doesn't pay taxes, but. <laughs> they are connected to the internet as well. Uh, governments, yes, and this is a, uh, when I'm talking about governments, I also the, I'm mostly talking about online elections because there is a very high demand on the online internet passports. And unfortunately, transportation, power grids, industrial systems, uh, nuclear, ah, nuclear power plant is not a German problem anymore. Russian Gazprom is very happy. Uh, but industrial systems are uh, mostly thanks to Siemens. Uh, well, I don't want to say any bad words about Siemens. It's, it's a great innovation. It's the right thing. So it's the right way how to develop our life, our civilization. But when you introduce a new technology, you have to think about security. Uh, but even it's not a, it's not of course not, some, not a Siemens fault. Uh, the companies, the organizations which use these technologies, sometimes they make a well, amazing mistakes uh, in the security design. Uh, last year, there was a report from United States. Someone uh, built a map of SCADA systems which are online in the United States. So the Siemens PLCs, which are online, so you can manage the systems through the internet. And someone said that uh, in, a, in some American prison, or maybe in several prisons, I don't know all the details. Uh, it's, it's possible to open bars <laughs> in the prison through the internet connection by managing the, 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 the discarded system in there. It's online. So it, it, it's stupid, crazy, <laughs> but it's reality. Uh, and uh, the problem is that these systems, in some cases, they have to be online because uh, they're complicated systems which are upgraded all the time, uh, especially power plants, the new industrial systems, which uh, the engineers, they are upgrading them. Uh, scientists, they make the experiments. So they have to upgrade IT components all the time. So they're all the time engineers are coming with notebooks to this environment, or these systems are online. And it's nothing to do here. It's, well, I have some ideas how to make it more secure, but it doesn't guarantee 100% of security. Uh, so unfortunately, uh, the, only <clears throat> the only element of our life uh, which is still not connected to the internet, it's uh, uh, biological objects, homo sapiens and pets. 
uh, but it's coming. Uh, some people already have under the skin uh, this, uh, the RFID, uh, but not many. Uh, I believe, I hope that I will die before everyone has under skin RFID systems. <clears throat> but I am still not sure are we in metrics or not. Maybe. LK, you not. Okay. And unfortunately, all the systems, they are they're definitely under the attack. Every, uh, every person, every business, uh, the governments, and the global economy is under attack. And there are different sources of these attacks. Uh, I split it into four categories because of motivation. Uh, first of all, they are hacktivists, which are they just protest. They don't have a financial motivation uh, to, to stimulate their activities. Uh, most of them, they are just uh, protesting against something, you know. Uh, of course, they use the different vectors of the attack, uh, but they just, if they hack a company or government, they simply publish the information, so they don't, steal, they don't sell this information, they don't use it for money. Uh, cyber criminals, they do almost the same, but they have a different motivation. Money, 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 money. Um, Recently, we, well, of course, we are, as a company, we are not just uh, watching the malware, not just trends, but we also we want to understand who is behind that. We want to say, understand the logic of the people who are developing the criminal businesses and run these businesses. And also, we, uh, sometimes we estimate how much money they have. And sometimes we have a quite a hard data. Sometimes we can uh, realize how much money they earn. Um, uh, recently, we had the research on the uh, mobile malware and the groups of criminals which develop uh, mobile Trojans which send paid SMS messages. Uh, they send this uh, data, they send SMS to the paid number. Uh, so mobile operator, they know, the mobile operators, they know how much money they were transferred from uh, customer's account and how much money were paid to criminal groups. So you, you, you know this business, it's a short number, the paid number, and if the SMS is going there, so the, the telephone is, uh, the, the phone is charged for some sum, uh, for so some money, and uh, this money is split between operator and owner of this number. So it's possible to count how much money they have a day, a month. Uh, so there was, uh, still is, uh, rather, small group of uh, criminals. Uh, the damage of this group is more than one million euro a month. And these guys, we just approximated that, uh, they have uh, some, thousand, uh, some thousand euros a day, everyone in the group. Uh, I personally know not so many people uh, which have such an income. How many people in the room has a uh, 5,000 euro income. Sorry, it's a not correct question. Of course, it's a private life. <laughs> so not many. And cyber criminals, they have a very, very, very good motivation. Uh, it's a bad news. The good news is that uh, finally government started to talk about cooperation to fight with cybercrime. Uh, United Nations, they have a new organization uh, in ITU division to fight with cybercrime on international level. Uh, Interpol announced that they are opening the Internet Interpol division in uh, 2014 in Singapore. So it's coming to the more, more strict regulation and cooperation between governments, and that's good. Uh, 
It means that soon we'll have more tools and more uh, power to control population of cyber criminals. Uh, who's that? I don't know. And I don't know how many attacks they are designed by governments. I don't know because there are no stamp made by Deutsche uh, Bundestag. Made by CIA, made by KGB, uh, FSB. I have no idea uh, because in many cases uh, we simply we can't uh, we don't see we have just a malicious code, and we simply can't realize uh, we can't understand is it made by criminals to steal financial information from the organization or it's made by secret services or by competitors to steal. Corporate secrets. It's just a spying software which steals the data from the network, and we don't know which information was stolen. And victims, of course, they don't report it. Maybe they report to the national secret services, uh, to the national police departments, but not to us, so we simply don't know. But I'm pretty sure that there are quite a lot of these guys uh, in this area. And the final threat, which is, I think, is uh, the most dangerous and uh, which can have um, the worst case scenarios. This is cyber weapons. Uh, cyber weapons, uh, they could be of uh, two categories. First of all, cyber, the military attacks, uh, the cyber sabotage or cyber terrorism. Um, I see two scenarios. The first scenario is attack on uh, infrastructure, on telecommunications. That's Estonia scenario. Then the country is disconnected. And the second uh, scenario is a Stuxnet. Attack on the critical elements of uh, national or global infrastructure. Uh, transportation, power plants, power grid. What else? Uh, did you see Die Hard 4 movie? Uh, well, it's a Hollywood. It's a Hollywood movie, so half of this. Called Die Hard 4. Bruce Willis saved the world. Uh, uh, Die Hard 4. Uh, what was the, 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 the motto? I forgot. Well, doesn't matter. Uh, so half of the movie is uh, just a Hollywood bullshit, but only half. Uh, for example, I'm pretty sure it's not possible to turn all the street lights to green, to all directions. I'm pretty sure there is a protection against that. But what about to turn all the lights to yellow in the city by hacker attack? Why not? And the result will be the same. Uh, so, uh, the worst case scenario which comes to my mind uh, is the fact that industrial systems, they are a little bit different, but they are built according to, some, to the not so many different standards, not so many different projects. Uh, for example, power plants, they are, they are built according to a few projects, so many power plants, they are very same. Uh, transportation system, I think it's also, there's uh, some standards, and these systems, they're built in exactly same, similar ways. 
So the worst case scenario is, if there is a new Stuxnet to attack, say, power plant, but this new Stuxnet is made with the mistakes in the code, and a new military malware is not able to recognize exact target. And there are thousands of computers infected around the globe, like a Stuxnet, in many different countries, like Stuxnet. But in case of Stuxnet, there was just one victim. In case of the Stuxnet 2, which is made with mistakes, there could be random victims around the globe in any country. So there could be the conflict between India and Pakistan, for example, with victims in Europe. Because cyber weapon, it can replicate. And internet doesn't have distances, and it doesn't have time. So I'm afraid this is the most dangerous and the most critical issue in the cyber security. Uh, the good news is that officials even the top officials, like Leon Panetta, Secretary of Defense, uh, and former director of CIA, he said that a cyber attack could virtually paralyze our country. So the big guys, they started to confirm that we have a very serious problem. Uh, the director of uh, NSA in the United States, uh, he said something like, in case of the cyber attack, the global cyber attack on the national resources, NSA, the American agency, they could, provide, they, they could only provide a report. There is no defense against cyber weapons. If they want to attack, if they want to hack and destroy, they will do it. Unfortunately, there is no way to protect. But I think it's possible to prevent. Uh, talking about cybercrime, hacktivists, and this is these minor issues. Of course, there is a, it's a place for more international cooperation. And uh, I think that uh, international treaties have to pay more attention to that, and actually they do. Finally, United Nations, Interpol, uh, European uh, community, European countries, they agree about it. It's a very serious problem. And I was talking for many years, maybe 10 years, I was talking about Internet, Interpol, and government cooperation. Now it's happening. Now the governments, they're talking exactly uh, ministers and Prime Ministers, they are talking in exactly the same words in the same way I was talking for many years. How to stop cybercrime? Uh, of course, they're talking about national level. There must be more government control. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not talking about Big Brother scenario. Uh, governments, they don't have enough of eyes to read all your emails and blog posts. But at least more regulation to control criminals, to control the bad guys in the Internet. Uh, and, of course, the technologies, products, services, uh, and you know the name of the company which provides that. Uh, but talking about, uh, talking about cyber weapons and uh, military division, I'm afraid they have to be 
more serious, uh, maybe uh, independent organization. Uh, it's the same idea how to control nuclear weapons or biological weapons. That's our, there are international agreements not to produce, not to use, and not to distribute these weapons. And there are organizations which are managing all that. Of course, I understand that in case of, say, nuclear weapons, it's possible to recognize that someone is doing that. In case of cyber weapon, it's much more difficult because it's just a room somewhere with engineers which are just connected to the internet. It's not possible to recognize that. But I think that if we have the agreement between governments uh, not to distribute, not to use cyber weapons, it will be a very, very good stopper in the mind. Don't use it. Because if you use it, the victim will learn from that. And you'll have, you'll have it back to your national IT systems. The cyber weapon is a boomerang, which sooner or later will get back to you. I'm not surprised if Iran now develops cyber attacks, serious cyber attacks against Israel. I'm not, of course I don't know, but I'm not surprised if it's truth. So my idea is that to live in a more safe, secure world, uh, to, to protect us against Hollywood scenarios, there is a place for international organization, and we have this, the name, uh, well, I'm not sure if this organization will have this name, but I'm pretty sure sooner or later it will happen. Uh, it's kind of international cyber, cyber security organization to control cyber weapons, to get governments into agreement, not to get to cyber wars. Because I am working with IT security for 20 years, and I have some scenarios in my mind what can happen. Uh, unfortunately, I am not discussing these scenarios with journalists. But believe me, these scenarios, they are, some of them, they are very simple to do. I don't want to teach the bad guys. Uh, not sure, not sure. So, that's it. Thank you very much. And I hope that this world will survive without uh, cyber, cyber conflicts and cyber wars. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Yes, questions? Any questions? Thank you. You mentioned uh, sister, uh, Siemens uh, and Stuxnet. Uh, do you see a possibility that you will uh, develop uh, um, an antivirus system for industrial uh, uh, um, uh, uh, managing systems like Siemens? Because they have a massive security problem and they have not the capability to, use, to, to solve it. Uh, in the problem, um, this is a very 
huge problem of the industrial attacks like Stuxnet. Uh, this is direct attacks and not just on the industrial systems, on the enterprises as well. Uh, because in many cases, the attacker, they know you security systems. So they have some information about your IT systems. And they develop such an attack which simply bypass the protection because they have time to test it. Uh, and there were rumors. Well, of course, I don't know is it truth or not. I read it in the internet. Well, if we trust internet, uh, there were some rumors that in Israel they even had a prototype. Uh, they, they had a test systems which was built exactly the same way as uh, Iran no nuclear. Yes, you know. So the attacker, they have time to test. They know the design. They know some data about the design of the, the, those systems. Unfortunately, it's not antivirus. Uh, they are traditional and even improved antivirus uh, systems. They are not able to stop uh, direct attacks like Stuxnet. It's not possible because they designed, they have time. They have money. They have engineers. They can test the, uh, the malware they produce. So they, they, can, they, they simply do it uh, and they are sure that they bypass the protection. What happened with Stuxnet? All the systems there were working and the network was disconnected. So it just threw the USB <laughs> bypassing any protection. Uh, the criminals, they are much less professional and we don't really need to be more professional than these people who design these types of attacks. Uh, because criminals, they infect thousands or sometimes millions of the computers. And they simply don't care if they're not able to bypass some protection, they don't care because there are other systems which are vulnerable. So there's a random infection and maybe most of systems, they are protected and are not able to bypass the protection, but they're happy with the rest of them. Talking about direct attacks. They want to have their bigger star on the Chevron. So they, they, they will do <laughs> the authors of military malware. They want to have a bigger star or maybe the award here. So they will do their best to bypass any protection. That's why I'm talking that there is no defense against cyber weapon. And the big guys, they confirm that. If we come to the era of cyber wars, it's easy to develop. It's, well, not easy, but it's not a, to the, it's, it's much cheaper. It's not hundred millions of euros to design, or maybe billions of years to develop a new plane, military aircraft. It's just some millions of euros to, to fill the budget of the project. Uh, I estimate that the budget of Stuxnet, it was some, some millions of euros. Or maybe 10, but not hundreds, not hundred millions. It's, it's much cheaper, it's much easier. There, the military tank or uh, aircraft, there are decades to develop that. Billions of euro to, to, to feel the, 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 to be uh, used for, for, the, for this job. Cyber weapon. No, maybe one year, maybe a couple of years, some million euros, very cheap. And the damage 
could be, well, maybe a little bit less, maybe not so visible because the victim will not report that, but maybe it's transportation, so you, everyone will recognize it. Very much cheaper to develop, very easy to deploy, no protection. That's why I'm talking about cyber weapon and cooperation, international cooperation against cyber weapons. Nation. United, uh, yeah, maybe that, that's that's United Nation. And I was talking about this idea of uh, the agency to control their cyber weapons uh, to United Nation to uh, the Munich Conference, Munich Security Conference in Davos, and it seems that United Nations they are very very interested in this idea and they are going to support it. But of course, it's not my job. It's just my it's my view of uh, the view of a IT security expert. Hey guys, what are you doing? Uh, I play the role of Cassandra. <laughs> so the, do you know the first rule of security? Do you know the first rule of security? No. Don't kill Cassandra, please. Uh, I have a question about uh, security in the enterprise. Um, more and more people are mobile, so they are less in the office to update their security software. More and more people are using l a lot of devices, tablets, phones with email or with SharePoint connections, uh, apart from their desktop computer or laptop. Uh, how, how, uh, how, how do you see the future to, uh, to, to, to still manage this, uh, this kinds of environments very well? Uh, it's not the future, it's reality. Uh, for example, me, I, I travel a lot, so about half of the year I'm not in Moscow, so I'm not in my office. Uh, so I am all the time work online. Uh, so it's quite simple. Uh, you device have to have the secure connection to your system. So it's VPN connection encrypted. Uh, of course, a lot of passwords. Uh, and please don't write the passwords on the, the, on the screen. Don't attach it to the screen. Have it somewhere. Uh, better use the password manager or what else. Uh, passwords, secure connection to your corporate environment. And then you are just part of the corporate environment. Uh, even when I go just to, to Google to search for something, First of all, I establish, in most of cases, I establish the secure connection to my office. Because I don't want the hotel or airport to intercept my traffic, or someone sitting close to me to intercept my traffic. First of all, my strong passwords, encryption on your device, so if it's lost, the bad guys could not read what's there, and encrypted VPN connection to your corporate resources. Uh, notebooks, they do that. Uh, most of smartphones, they have it. Uh, please uh, keep in mind but that some companies which have these mobile services, uh, they keep the data somewhere outside your country. I didn't say, I didn't say. That's it? So this, it works. And don't open files from unknown people. Uh, many direct attacks, uh, many enterprise attacks, uh, they are built in such a way that yeah, there is some email, 
uh, which looks like a looks like a business email, and there is a PDF file attached uh, or Word document, which has exploit the new zero-day vulnerability there. And well, actually, many companies they were victims of these types of attacks. Uh, I recommend to have their targeted attack training for all the employees in the organization. Actually, we have it. We have a special courses. We have, we have a uh, presentation, and we explain different types of the attacks, so we do it internally. And maybe in the future, we'll provide this information to you as well. Training, 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 tra to, train, to improve your security system and train your people. And maybe uh, to have extra people in the IT security department just to simulate attacks. Let them design that tech and try on the employees in the company. How many people will be victims? Will open their attach and install their simulated malware? It's also a good idea. How many people will take the USB which is lost in the parking slot? <laughs> yes? The best. Have to have to have to get malware into any system in the end any environment. If you are able to get to the lunch room or in a restaurant close to the office, just drop the USB or on the parking slot or better in the elevator. That's why social networking is so dangerous because the more an attacker knows on you the more you are like to open an attachment. If you get an attachment which, is, which, which contains your name or uh, the name of your, your, your uh, children or something like this, it's, it's almost 100% that you will open it because you're just curious. So that's, that's really... Uh, the so more trickier. People, the people are not aware of, of, <laughs> of what they post on social network sites. So this opens really every, every, every gate, actually. I agree. <laughs> uh, do you know, that the, if you remember, the, um, there was a very successful attack more than a year ago on the HB Harry company. So there was an email from uh, uh, Google Mail account with a, <laughs> the, the real name of the person who is working in the company from the colleague of the victim. And there was a message like, I'm sorry, but I'm temporarily lost uh, access to my corporate account, and I'm writing, for, writing from my Google account. Please, could you provide me some data about this, uh, the login to you to, this, to, to that particular resource? And I said, of course, yes, yes, please, take it. Or oh, the call to the financial department to their some employee, hey, it's, uh, sorry, I'm, a, I'm an engineer from IT security department, so could you please provide me the, this data, that, that, and that. They take this just a little bit. Then you call next one and say, okay, so I, 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 ha I have a login, but I forgot the password, so could you please provide me this data? I'm, I'm John Smith from the, from the IT security desk. Most of people, they are, yes. And better to use the real names. Oh, better to use the name of the man who is on vacation 
and say, I'm sorry, I'm on vacation. I, 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 call, I call you mobile phone simply because I'm on vacation. I urgently need blah, 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 blah. It will work. That's why I'm talking about trainings. Don't trust anyone except me. <laughs> okay, thank you very much.
1, 2, 3, 4, 5, das kommt was.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our second press conference today. Uh, we will be talking about virtualization, about security in virtualization today, about our latest product, Kaspersky Security for Virtualization. But as we don't want to bore you with our own product messaging all this half hour, we are happy to have Erwin Brenner here from VMware, who will give you a uh, short introduction on uh, VMware's view on the topic. Um, and uh, now for the beginning, Peter Beardmore, our Senior Director of Product Management, uh, will uh, start with a, a short introduction. Um, so he will tell you some words about evolution of corporate IT and security, then Mr. Brenneis will continue, and then Peter will uh, introduce our well, latest corporate product to you. Thank you very much. All right. The button on the right, I guess. Great. Well, thank you all for coming today. Um, we really appreciate it, and uh, we're really excited to, uh, to be able to present uh, our new product for, for VMware, Kaspersky Security for Virtualization. Uh, this morning, I'm going to talk uh, a little bit about uh, some of the, the latest trends and developments that we're seeing uh, and requirements from our customers, quite frankly, uh, regarding security. And we're also going to talk uh, a little bit about our portfolio uh, and how we are, uh, we are addressing and responding to, uh, to the needs in the market. Um, this is a slide that I, I get to introduce at almost every product launch. Um, we call it the, uh, the obligatory, ubiquitous growth of malware slide. Um, and it's looked like much like this for the last several years, uh, where we're seeing just a, uh, an exponential growth in, in, in new malware uh, every year. Um, more often than not, we can say that, you know, this year we've seen uh, more malware than, than we've ever seen before. Uh, right now, it's averaging about 70,000 uh, unique new threats every day. Um, we have in our database right now, um, as of January, about 67 million uh, unique uh, malware in our database. Um, that compares, if you look just a year before that, um, it was 50 million. So, you know, we're looking at uh, about a 35 plus percent increase, 30 percent increase in, uh, in the amount of, of new malware that we've, that we've seen in our database. Um, and today, when you're, if you're downloading something from the internet, uh, our statistics are showing that about one in every 14 downloads um, is malicious in, in one form or another. Um, and you know, we're seeing that the threat is, is clearly moving from one that is <clears throat> primarily a consumer threat, botnets focusing on infecting as many consumer machines as possible, uh, to a threat that is very targeted, uh, particularly on uh, corporations and corporate customers. Um, they, they're certainly expanding their sites, and, and they're doing things a little bit differently uh, than they were previously doing, doing uh, a business, and they're focused on, on consumer endpoints. Uh, but, you know, as, as you see here uh, from one of our, our most senior researchers, um, we are absolutely seeing a, a, a change in that trend, uh, focusing uh, primarily now on, on businesses. A couple examples of some prominent cases just over the course of the last year. Um, about exactly a year ago, a company called HB Gary Federal in the United States, a, a very uh, prominent security firm, uh, focused on the U.S. federal government. Um, their CEO uh, got himself in a, in a bit of a, uh, um, 
publicity match, if you will, with a hacktivist group called Anonymous uh, and claimed that he would be able to or was able to, to infiltrate the group. Um, they managed to, uh, to, to hack into his email uh, and in doing so uh, exposed uh, some emails that, that ultimately brought the downfall of the company. Uh, they were extremely embarrassing emails. Uh, and obviously when you're a, a security company delivering security services to uh, the U.S. government uh, and your CEO's email gets hacked uh, basically by way of a password, uh, that's not necessarily a, a good way to, to present yourselves. And it, it's basically created uh, the complete downfall of, of that company. Uh, RSA is another example. There was a targeted attack. Um, we believe it was started uh, primarily through a, um, uh, an email uh, with a zero-day uh, exploit in an Excel file that went to an HR employee with, you know, something about annual bonuses or something like that uh, in the file. Uh, an employee opened the file and uh, it, uh, it ran an exploit on, on uh, uh, that machine, which in turn uh, was able to compromise the network and uh, some machines that had very valuable proprietary information in RSA. Uh, specifically related to the algorithms that their um, tokens run on, that they use to authenticate corporate users. Um, as if that wasn't bad enough, um, Lockheed Martin was, uh, was infiltrated uh, within a couple of months after that incident, uh, and it was believed that they used the tokens, that, that uh, intellectual property, from the RSA attack to uh, uh, to break into Lockheed Martin, and we still don't know the extent of the of the damage that was done to to Lockheed Martin. So, as we look at the trends and, and challenges that uh, that our customers are are facing, and that we're hearing from the market every day, um, you know what we're seeing is essentially you know more malware, consumerization, mobility, virtualization, uh, additional complexity, and just the overall growth of of data. Uh, is driving a, an increased demand for uh, security practices, security products, um, and, and ultimately uh, you know, more secure environments for us to operate in. Um, and these ultimately pan out to you know, directly relating to you know, external threats from, uh, uh, from obviously the, the malware world. Um, we're seeing you know, a big concern regarding sensitive data uh, and loss of, of personally identifiable information. Um, and, you know, we're seeing a, a need for expanded platform control uh, because of the consumerization of devices. People are bringing their iPads and their, their mobile phones, smartphones to work with a variety of different um, operating systems and applications running on them. Uh, so we need to cover all of those uh, additional platforms. Um, and then, in addition to covering them with security software, we also need to account for deployment and management of that software. Uh, so that's really where we're focusing our efforts over the course of, of uh, the coming years is really across these four areas, external threats, sensitive data, data protection, um, platform support, and, and obviously uh, management. If you think back uh, three or four years ago when I first started working for Kaspersky, our focus was almost entirely in you know, with the exception of our of our um, uh, of our business partners that OEM our, our our technology, everything that we built was essentially built for the Wintel world. Um, but today, that's really you know an an 
an ever shrinking portion of our total business. Um, not because our business, not because that specific piece is shrinking, but our business is growing and demand for all of these uh, platforms uh, is growing right along with it. Back in 2009, just for example, um, we added basic virtualization support to our management system so that we could identify virtual machines and be able to treat them accordingly uh, when we brought them into uh, our security management system. Um, about a year and a half ago, we brought uh, additional support for systems like uh, Macintosh, Linux, Symbian, Android, Windows, Windows Mobile, and once again, not only offered protection software, uh, but also incorporated uh, all of those systems into our, into our single management platform. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, Kaspersky Security for Virtualization, uh, which is another platform, obviously, that we need to cover uh, because we're seeing increased demand uh, and specialized demand for virtualization security. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, mobile device management later this year. Uh, and into the future, beyond this year, we're going to be extending our reach into uh, other virtualized operating systems, uh, Hyper-V, uh, Citrix, uh, and also ex extending our mobile device management capabilities uh, to create very specialized services on those devices. Um, we've also done a tremendous amount of work over the course of the last several quarters uh, in updating our coverage for just a variety of additional um, uh, platforms. Uh, so just for example, over the course of the last few weeks or few months, um, we've introduced updates for our proxy server product, our exchange product, uh, our ISA TMG uh, gateway product. Um, we have a Linux mail security announcement coming out very shortly. Uh, probably the biggest one of all these, though, in terms of um, importance, uh, is a week or two ago we introduced Kaspersky Security for SharePoint. Uh, and again, this is a product uh, that we were seeing specific customer demand for uh, for a specific platform. Obviously, we've secured the, um, the, uh, the operating systems that SharePoint runs on for years and years uh, and have done a, a really good job at protecting those systems. Uh, but the underlying application and the proprietary manner in which SharePoint and, and systems like it treats the data that crosses those platforms, uh, we need to come up with a specialized product specifically for that application. Uh, and so that is now available on the market and, uh, and our customers are beginning to use that, that product. Um, also, just about six months ago, uh, we updated our core endpoint products uh, with substantial new functionality. In addition to core anti-malware capabilities that were significantly increased, uh, we brought to bear new technologies such as application control and whitelisting uh, enabled by uh, cloud uh, uh, threat intelligence. Um, and we also brought um, uh, device control and web control uh, to, those, uh, uh, to those products. And we'll be updating them once again later this year. Uh, so with that, just a quick update and background. I'm going to turn this over to uh, to Erwin. We're going to talk a little bit about security in VMware. Thank you, Peter, and uh, welcome. Uh, thank you also uh, to Kaspersky to uh, for the invitation to the um, to your press conference and uh, to give us the opportunity to talk a little bit about virtualization and trends regarding security, virtualization, and cloud computing. Uh, VMware itself is, isn't known as a security vendor, but we talked to our customers, and uh, they got, uh, got, uh, gave, uh, got they gave us the 
feedback that we have to provide some solutions regarding security. So we are now grateful uh, that after announcing the VM Safe API uh, in 2009, uh, we see more and more vendors and uh, products being released for the VM, uh, VMware APSEC API. Uh, with Kaspersky, we have now the third vendor in this market, and uh, which was bringing solutions regard, uh, which are virtualization and cloud-aware. And uh, this gives our joint customers the opportunity to invest to uh, products uh, which are um, leverage the hypervisor uh, technology to get a better uh, performance and more uh, flexibility uh, regarding security in virtual environments. Uh, first, I would talk a little bit about, about uh, virtualization. Virtualization itself is, um, um, is um, bringing um, a lot of new um, opportunities to the data center. Uh, Neil McDonald, he is a well-known and uh, respected garden analyst, already two years uh, before he said that the security market has to adapt virtu virtualization and not vice versa. That is quite natural because um, the hypervisor is on top of the hardware, and all the security control is sitting above that. So that uh, security products have to deal with this functionality of a hypervisor. And uh, therefore, it's um, really interesting to see how it uh, works with different vendors. So uh, the right graph uh, shows, us, shows us the demographics uh, regarding virtualization. And virtual systems are the future. We uh, already passed the crossover point where more virtual machines are pro uh, provisioned than physical machines. And therefore, we see that there um, is a big, uh, big task to provide a better uh, manageable and programmable security solutions. And um, the left side, we see do more with less in shorter time. Uh, but this gives a huge uh, challenge to the um, to the IT operations, because uh, with the increasing of uh, virtual machines, uh, by consolidating the systems itself, so the hardware itself, uh, there will be um, a lot of a lot um, of um, more uh, operational tasks to get the same um, or to, to leverage the security uh, products itself. Uh, the second part we see in the left side is increasing automation. Increasing automation means that it's the second part of the uh, how to um, to work uh, of business and administrative uh, processes that gives the companies now the possibility to reduce the OPEX costs. For example, uh, when a new virtual machine is born uh, during the ordering process uh, of this virtual machine, the security team has to approve the security placement and compliance policy in predefined workflows uh, so that firewall rules and compliance templates are automa automatically applied to this virtual machine. So, talking about virtualization, I think uh, virtualization is the catalyst for cloud computing. With web, 
we uh, see a completely change of the way to think about, uh, about consuming services over the internet. But that is only the half uh, of the picture. The other, um, is, uh, the other half is how, to, uh, how those services uh, are delivered. Uh, that's the focus of cloud computing, which completes the transition of service delivery. VMware, as the leader in virtualization, helping businesses pay, uh, pave the, uh, the path to cloud computing, which promises uh, to be the new era of IT that tackles both cost and complexity issues, issues uh, while uh, also enabling new levels of agility. Security and compliance is one of the primary concerns uh, with cloud computing. Um, so with cloud computing itself provides um, SLAs through rate cards, for example, declares contractual handoff points and provides customer self-service capabilities to consume IT services. This dynamics pose new challenges in aspects of security, control, and compliance. How can I ensure that my tenants are securely separated from each other? How can I prove uh, to my cloud customer that I took in place all control needed uh, to be um, needed to be at her uh, compliance regulations. Cloud sounds always uh, big, but in fact, it, we at VMware are often uh, asked by internal customers, departments, how to segment between departments. Uh, segmentation can uh, between departments can be uh, ensured. Can I run my DNZ? on the same ESX cluster as uh, my internal network? These are the typical questions we got from our customers. So now, the, the, the picture now provides us a, a solution which is the traditional security picture in a virtual environment. And I see, uh, or we can see that there are a lot of air gaps and this uh, kind of implementation security in combination of virtual environments isn't uh, a good solution. So it looks complex and is inefficiency, in, 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 uh, uh So the better way is to get uh, the customer uh, to the journey, to the journey to the cloud, and all VMware customers know about the virtualization journey to the cloud, and most can identify themselves as being in a particular state uh, in the journey. That said, our customers are also following a security journey to the cloud. Even if uh, they may not be aware of it, uh, the security journey of the cloud also becomes in, in, uh, comes in changes, uh, stages, and those uh, stages are outlined in this slide. So based on a conversation with our customers, we can say that the most of the customers have uh, vSphere environments that are fit to the stage one and two, and many of them are looking to moving to the stage three, four, and five. Each of these stages brings incremental security challenges and objections, objections uh, which slow down the, the journey to the cloud. With VMware vShield technologies, we are built 
from the ground up to address these challenges and accelerate the customer journey to the secure hybrid cloud without compromising security, reliability, and governance. So we are launched a product family, this, which is called Visual Product Family, and I only want to take uh, one minute to give you a short introduction regarding the product itself. The product family uh, uh, consists uh, the Visual Edge, the VShield app, and the VShield endpoint. Today we are clearly focused on our partner Kaspersky, where we are, to be, uh, we are at VMware are proud to have a new family member uh, on, our part, uh, on, on our endpoint market on board. So VShield Edge is securing the virtual data center edges, where you are able to create trust boundaries between different security zones like DMZ, and internal LAN uh, 1 or uh, LAN 2, or Cloud cons uh, Consumer 1 and Cloud Consumer 2. With VShield App, it is a VM-safe enabled firewall where we are, uh, provide, uh, the um, we provide the complete view inside the hypervisor. Uh, you want to have a 100% waterproof security concept where you are, can also be introspect all network traffic. Then it's, uh, um, you have the need to implement a, a hypervisor level based uh, firewall because you have to see what, is, what, network, uh, what kind of network traffic is uh, going on the hypervisor level. All the products itself are, have some uh, characteristics which are be, uh, have to be elastic have to be logical, have to be efficient, automated, and programmable, because that's our all characteristics from cloud computing. So the security solutions have also fit these uh, requirements and these um, um, characteristics. So with the next slide, which is animated, I will show you how we can automate these processes. Uh, first, eliminate agents inside the VM means uh, that you get a better performance. You get more systems on, the, on one host because you don't need, have the need to roll out a lot of agents. Second, protect every VM with a hypervisor level based firewall or intrusion detect, uh, prevention systems. Results in automatic protection and provide better SLAs than in physical environments. And third, enforce policies with adaptive trust zones which means that the SLA policy is following the VM and infected VMs moved automatically to quarantine zones. And with that, or after talking so long regarding uh, general aspects and demands of security, within virtualized data center op uh, operations in general, let's uh, get uh, again more specific to uh, the endpoint and with that, I would like to hand over to Peter again, and he will talk about the endpoint security solution from Kaspersky. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. So Kaspersky security for virtualization. Let's talk about this new product. Erwin um, talked a little bit about you know, the, the journey that businesses go through, their virtualization journey, and he talked quite a lot about the, the latter portions of that journey around the, 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 you know, the movement to the cloud. And a lot of our customers are 
very much in that position, but we also have a tremendous amount of customers that are much in much earlier stages of that journey, uh, where they are you know, early in their experimentation and moving servers and applications to VMware. Uh, and oftentimes when they're at that stage or they've you know, begun their implementation, they start thinking very seriously about security. How, how am I going to go about uh, securing my, my VMware uh, platform or, or cluster? Um, and so we look at it as basically three options that they can, that they can do. Um, the first option, which really isn't an option at all, and we'll talk a little bit about this, is no protection. Um, so don't run uh, anti, antivirus or anti-malware of any kind uh, on your VMs. Uh, and by the way, that does happen quite a lot, particularly in, in VMware environments where um, they aren't necessarily very well controlled and specific policies about who can or cannot stand up virtual machines. Um, option two is to use an agent-based system, uh, which would be something like Kaspersky Endpoint Security uh, running on each individual VM uh, uh, virtual machine. Uh, and then option three, which is the option that we're primarily going to talk about today, uh, is the agentless option uh, using um, an API such as uh, um, uh, vShield from, from VMware, uh, we can create a, a blade essentially or a virtual machine that takes care of all of the anti-malware needs of all the systems on that hypervisor. So let's talk about the no protection option. Um, so no protection, if you think back to my first slide that I gave you know, 15, 20 minutes ago, um, talk about the, the growth of malware. If it's malware for a physical machine, it's malware for a virtual machine. They're just as vulnerable. Um, but they also have additional vulnerabilities that need to be considered. For example, um, there's certainly the possibility of virtual infection and spread on that uh, platform uh, because of the proximity and availability between those machines. Um, but they also potentially are susceptible to virtual uh, eavesdropping. Uh, so, you know, malware from one machine actually being used to eavesdrop onto uh, another. Um, we're also uh, seeing, in some cases, some very specific malware that's targeted for virtual machines that can actually survive a teardown, meaning um, virtual machines uh, can be set so that when, um, uh, after a certain amount of time or, you know, the next day or uh, uh, upon a specific event, uh, the, the machine will be reset back to, you know, essentially factory defaults. Um, but in some circumstances, the malware actually survives. Uh, and can reset with the machine and continue to operate um, um, after the, the teardown process. Okay, let's look at the agent-based uh, approach. Uh, so in this approach, basically you can run uh, endpoint antivirus on each individual virtual machine. Um, and we have, frankly, a lot of customers that are doing this today. Um, and I would add, quite successfully. Um, you know, we've actually made our bones in the VMware world by, by running our products as an agent on, on virtual machines. Um, our product is lightweight, it's fast, um, the updates are, are hourly so they don't, uh, you know, come in, in uh, all at once. Um, they come in smaller packages. Um, but the reality of the situation is, is that there are some drawbacks to agent-based solutions on virtual platforms. Uh, clearly, the, the, the most prominent one is the AV storm effect, which is for every virtual machine, you're running an instance of, of Kaspersky or the endpoint agent, and when they go and update, they tend to update at once. 
uh, and it eats all your bandwidth, it eats all your memory capacity, it eats everything, and can oftentimes you know significantly degrade um, the the performance of the of the virtual platform. Um, obviously, there's a there's a redundancy issue um, because for each individual instance of an en of an endpoint agent, you're also going to have an individual instance of that database uh, and all of the threat information associated with it. Uh, so it's eating up, you know, quite frankly, um, unnecessary storage space and memory uh, on the systems. Uh, there's an instant on gap issue where. Um, you know, virtual machines have a tendency, in, in a lot of cases, not to be running 24-7. Um, they, they go into an inactive mode, uh, and oftentimes they're not updating during that entire period of time or running sc scans of, uh, of the data on those virtual machines, right? Um, if, a, if a vulnerability is discovered during that period of time uh, or an exploit is on that machine that, that is able to uh, go after a newly known vulnerability, as soon as that machine comes up, it hasn't updated, it hasn't run scans, it hasn't run any of its security uh, requirements. And in doing so, it can then go ahead and, and not only negatively affect that virtual machine, but potentially the entire uh, infrastructure and all the virtual machines running on that platform. Um, you have issues with VMs in motion where um, you may have one VM that's been moved from one environment to another. It may not, um, uh, it may not uh, uh, specifically uh, have the security standards of the, uh, the new home, the new VM home, uh, and therefore may not be properly protected. Um, but the, the biggest issue that we have with the, with the agent-based uh, uh, approach is Quite frankly, reduced it, it, uh, you're having problems with your consolidation ratios. Uh, so the idea with VMware is, and the whole purpose of virtualizing is to use the resources that you have on your systems, right? Traditional servers are historically underutilized, but if you can run virtual machines off of a single piece of hardware, you're going to have a much better uh, overall utilization of your system. But if you're running redundant anti-malware, you're running, uh, you know, you're excessively using your memory, you're excessively using the uh, uh, the the uh, processing power of that machine, uh, and therefore you can run fewer systems simultaneously on that virtual platform. Um, so by getting around this and not putting an individual agent on each platform, you can actually improve your overall consolidation ratios. Um, some, uh, Additional issues here, um, uh, in some cases there are misaligned feature sets when it comes to protection. Uh, endpoint protection is specifically designed in a lot of cases for physical endpoints. Uh, so you have features such as we discussed earlier, uh, device control for peripheral devices and that sort of thing, not necessarily applicable in a virtual environment. Um, in some cases you're delayed on updates for the uh, AV storm issues that we discussed earlier. A uh, big problem that we're seeing is uh, the multiple administrative consoles. When you have different types of agents running uh, on a single system, uh, you may have multiple consoles that you then have to use for management purposes. Um, and, and the disparate code issue, right, which is, um, you know, you've got uh, uh, various different kinds of uh, platforms um, that may not, you may not have an agent uh, opportunity to, uh, uh, to uh, to, to add, uh, excuse me, an, an agent software to add to a particular platform. When you go to an agentless offering, you can actually address that. 
Uh, so Kaspersky Security for Virtualization is just that, as I discussed earlier. Um, it's a single blade, a single virtual machine running on a VMware platform uh, using the, the tools and the benefits of the vShield uh, API that, that is available from VMware. Uh, it runs the anti-malware functions for all of the virtual machines on that platform. It's a, it's a single instance. It runs scanning both for online and offline machines. Uh, it also runs heuristic analysis uh, uh, of, of processes going on there. Um, and it's updated one, you know, there's one instance or a, a single instance update, meaning you're not going to have the broadcast storms that we talked about earlier. Uh, the benefits of the Kaspersky version um, are, are very unique. You know, first of all, we bring our award-winning antivirus engine to bear here. For example, uh, just this year we won the uh, AV Comparatives Product of the Year uh, for 2011. Uh, that, that award came from uh, literally the, uh, the same technology, the same underlying technology and anti-malware engine uh, that we're bringing uh, in this system. We have a unified management console. What this means is, is that you don't have to run separate consoles for your, um, your securing your uh, VMware and securing all of your endpoints. Uh, we actually consolidate this down to a single platform so you can apply policy universally across both physical and virtual machines. Uh, we talked about the uh, AV storm issues. Immediate protection. As soon as you bring an AV, excuse me, as soon as you bring a virtual machine online, it's instantly protected because that Kaspersky blade is always on, protecting everything that's on the, the platform. Uh, ultimately, this brings you these higher density ratios that we talked about earlier, right? So you can, uh, you can affect better overall utilization of your VMware platforms and therefore delivering superior ROI. Let's talk a little bit about unified management. Um, one of the tenets of our strategy at Kaspersky and, and um, um, real focuses for us in terms of how we bring our products uh, to market uh, is a focus on management, focus on ease of deployment uh, and the ability to manage all of the systems that we, uh, that we bring to market from a single platform. Uh, so with Kaspersky Security Center, we can actually manage, as I talked about earlier, both physical and virtual security implementations. But it's actually much more than that. We can also manage your mobile devices and security for your mobile devices. The idea here is that this stuff it gets turned on, it's immediately managed, it's immediately controlled, and our customers are getting immediate value uh, from their investment in security. Uh, excuse me, their investment in Kaspersky. Uh, so with that, I just want to sum up the key points here. With Kaspersky Security for Virtualization, you get, obviously, protection of your virtual machines. You get protection of your uh, physical machines using Kaspersky Endpoint Security. You get protection for your mobile machines using Kaspersky Mobile Security. Uh, and we wrap it all up with a single, simplified management platform uh, using Kaspersky Security Center. And with that, I'm happy to take any questions. Yes, sir. And I was just wondering, uh, when you say platform, you mean each physical host? Or so you need to store on each server that then runs? Oh, yeah, sure. Good, good question. Actually, um, we do support VMware clusters as well. Um, so in a clustered environment, you actually only need that one blade, and it will, um, it will uh, 
provide anti-malware for all the devices in the cluster. In a normal installation, you would use it on each physical host. Uh, yeah, it, again, it depends on how you're configured, right? But yeah, if you if you're running um, uh, separated, you know, uh, air, as he called it earlier, you know, so the air security method yeah, yeah. Of, of of separated um, uh, hypervisors. Yeah, you'd run one on each hypervisor. But if you're running it as a cluster, you run a single instance, and it carries all of your all of your hosts. Okay. When will it ship, and what will it cost? Great question. Um, we, uh, I don't have specific pricing information for you today. Um, it is priced in line with the market, um, and it is based on uh, the number of virtual machines that we're protecting. Um, it will ship, or it'll be available, uh, around the 15th of April, I believe, is the, uh, the planned avail availability date. Um, and obviously, we'll be releasing pricing information with availability. So it doesn't matter what kind of physical host you have, if it's a quad-core machine or, or if it's just... No, no. It, we, you know, basically, our you know, system requirements are VMware system requirements. So if it's running VMware with vShield, you know, latest version, uh, it's going to run. Any other questions? All right. Well, thank you very Oh, yes, sir. Well, one more alibi right and at the end. And how will you solve the distribution? Will it be through VMware exclusively, or oh. will you push forward it? Great question. Great question. Um, so we view this as a fantastic opportunity at Kaspersky for a number of reasons, not only just to answer our customers' problems, but also a great partnership opportunity. Um, we have a number of partners in common between Kaspersky and VMware, um, but we view this as an opportunity uh, number one, to bring additional value for our for our uh, VARs in particular that aren't in the VMware world uh, to bring products and services to bear for VMware customers. We also view this as a fantastic recruiting opportunity for us as well, quite frankly, uh, to, to introduce ourselves and to recruit partners uh, from the VMware ecosystem. Uh, so it's, uh, we're, we're basically following the same uh, the, the same partner approach that we've also fo always followed. You know, we have a two-tier system here in, uh, uh, in Europe, uh, and, you know, any Kaspersky partner can sell um, Kaspersky security for virtualization. Um, I don't believe that VMware specifically will be carrying our product. That isn't part of the model. It's more of a, uh, a meet-in-the-channel model. Yes, sir. And isn't it a risky business? Because, I mean, you mentioned RSA and so, so for Kaspersky as a company, isn't it risky to sort of go into that, you know, business approach where, where the attacks are different, as you said, and it's, it's completely different landscape? Well, it's the nature of our business, right? I mean, <laughs> we're, we're in the anti-malware business and, and, you know, obviously it's, there, there's, a, there's a high de degree of risk. Uh, just from the from the uh, from the threat, from the cybercrime threat, from every other threat that's that's involved in malware. Um, our view is is that we're actually you know our, our focus and and the the intent of bringing this product and product like products like it to to market in the future uh, is really about addressing the demands and the needs of our customers. Um, and I would argue that if we didn't do something like that, it would be riskier to our business. Uh, because we're not meeting those demands, we're not meeting those requirements from our customers, and they might not be our customers much longer, right? So 
Um, so my view is, is that you know, this is something that we, it, it really isn't an option. It's something that we have to do uh, to, to deliver the full solution to our customers. All right, thank you all very much. Look forward to seeing you out on the show floor today. macht jetzt noch viele, oder? Kann ich das einfach ausschalten? Das könnte ich auch einfach geben. Also. <lacht> ähm, weiter der Verlauf hier. Ja, wir sind doch für heute hier. Ah, hier ist heute für euch. Also hier ja. Ich weiß nicht, ob jemand anders hier noch reinkommt, aber. Ja, also es geht jetzt um Sie. Also es kommt noch jemand. Äh, aber Okay, super. Also, wir werden jetzt hier noch ein bisschen drehen, aber. Ja klar, kein Problem, nur damit ich dann mit dem Umbau entsprechend. Super, danke. Ich bedanke mich.